0: And welcome to make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today from downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire. And we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen and I'm Jessica, and we missed you last week. We did. Before we get started, how are you doing, Karen? <laughs> I'm the good. world wants to know. I'm good. So I do have a little bit of a story, though. So they ended up not using general anesthesia. They used regional anesthesia, which was kind of nice. And at the end, My surgeon was fully talking to me about all kinds of stuff, and I have no memory of this conversation. But she seems to think that I should have a memory of this conversation, and I think that's really funny. She called me afterwards and told me Karen did
1: great, things went really smoothly, and Karen's awake, and chatty, 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 she's
0: just (laughs) chatting with everyone in the room, so you were feeling fine whether or not you remember it. And I definitely received zero instructions from her because she thinks she gave them to me, but I was on the moon. So anyway, it's doing pretty (laughs) well. And I'm looking forward to being able to knit again. I'm about halfway through my definitely can't knit period. And then once the cast comes off, we'll kind of see what happens from there. It'll be exciting. Alright, so what are we talking about today? So, because I'm just kind of obsessively browsing Ravelry and thinking about things I want to cast on, we're talking about cast-on techniques. Yes, so many good options. So, when you're trying to decide what cast-on to use with a particular project, sometimes the project will tell you. Sometimes what the project tells you is for a reason, and sometimes it's a preference thing. Sure. Sure. So sometimes, you know, a pattern will tell you specifically do this cast on. And if you're like, "Mm, that's not my favorite cast on, I'm going to do a different one in like three pages. You're going to find out that there was a reason they had you do the other kind and you're going to be annoyed. But sometimes it's just the designer's favorite cast on and you could do a different one if you wanted to. Mm hmm. And the reason you might make a particular choice, or that a designer might make a particular choice, is usually around either functionality, is it a stretchy edge or a non-stretchy edge, like a rigid edge, or just the aesthetics, how does it look? And magically,
1: you have lots of options to fit your every knitter whim and desire for your projects. So today we're going to talk about a whole grocery list of different cast-on techniques and because it is difficult to talk about the technical aspects of getting stitches onto a needle in a way that's really clear and illustrative for you, in this week's show notes there will be links for each of these cast-on methods to either a blog post somewhere with written explanation and photos showing you how it happens or to videos So there will be different ways for you to access the nuts and bolts of these cast on techniques beyond us just chatting about them
0: here today. And just like everything else, right, you might find that different methods of explanation or demonstration work better or worse for your particular brain and learning style. So we're going to link to videos that we think are pretty clear to us. But I know personally, I've definitely had a situation where like I've watched a tutorial video 17 times. I'm still not getting it. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try a different tutorial video and I get it on the first try because the demonstrator showed it or explained it a different way. Yeah. How do brains work? So if our particular
1: links don't work great for you, just do a little Googling and try some different blog posts
0: or videos to figure these techniques out. So, the first one we're going to talk about is the first one I learned and was the only method I knew from the time I first learned to knit when I was a kid until I was in a post-bac program, so like fully through college. Oof. Which may have had a little bit to do with why I thought I could only knit rectangles for all of that time. Because the backwards loop cast on, it's very easy to teach, it's very easy to teach kids. It's the cast-on you use sometimes when you're adding stitches to an underarm on a sweater. You just loop the yarn around either your thumb or your index finger, you kind of stick the needle up through it, you pull it tight, there it is. Great, there's a loop on your needle, it's something to start with, but where that is your entire cast-on edge, it's kind of floppy and dysfunctional. Sure. I find
1: that backward loop cast on is difficult to knit into. Yes. Like you can get those stitches onto your needle quickly, but then actually working those stitches becomes a little bit of a challenge because there's no structure to the stitch. It's just a loop. So in my experience, I find that I'm kind of chasing those stitches around the length of my needle. They sort of stretch and distort. And it feels like the end of the world if one of them slips off the end of your needle, even though you can just kind of like twist your yarn and pop it back on. It's it's a little disorienting. I struggle with it.
0: Yeah, it has its applications. It's also a very rigid edge. There's no give to it at all. There's nothing like stretchy about it. Like it's simultaneously unstructured and it dictates the structure of the thing you're about to make. It's kind of a hot
1: mess, but it it has its place. (laughs) It does. For example, Karen mentioned picking up stitches to join underarms like the front and back of your sweater. That's great if you need to add six stitches, but if you need to cast on 237 stitches for the body of your sweater, make a different choice.
0: Yeah. And I think the reason it's used a lot when it's being taught to younger people who are learning to knit is that you don't have to like pre-measure out the amount of yarn, right? It works its way in from the dead end of your yarn, right? So, (laughs) not the dead end. (laughs) So, it's not like long tail where you have to figure out how much length you're going to be working with. So, that's good. It's easy to explain. But Jessica has started doing when we're teaching really anybody, but especially younger people, she has started with the knitted cast on, which is the next one we're going to talk about. Yes. So, the knitted cast on has
1: a little bit more structure. You begin with a slip knot and then you create additional stitches by knitting into that slip knot, slipping the stitch that you create back onto the needle, and then doing that again and again until you have <laughs> the number of stitches that you need. So, if you're a new knitter or a fledgling knitter, we'll say, like I am going to teach myself how to knit, Looking up knitted cast on tutorials is kind of a great place to start because not only are you learning a cast on method, but you are also practicing foundational knit stitches. It's helping you build muscle memory and it will give you like a nice clean edge. In our show notes, we're linking to a blog post from Tin Can Knits that has very clear, like line drawings of the creation of this knit stitch. But it also has a video component. So you kind of have two options for exploring how this works if this is a new technique for you.
0: So, what about the cable cast on? So, the cable cast
1: on is like a variation on the knitted cast on. So, with the knitted cast on, you are building new stitches by placing your needle into the center of the stitch and creating a new stitch from there. You're actually knitting into that stitch. With a cabled cast on, what you're doing is you are placing your needle in between the stitches that are on your left needle. Your right needle goes in between the stitches on your left needle, and the loop that you are pulling through becomes a new stitch that gets placed back onto your left needle. And you can do this as an initial cast on edge. I find that if you do this technique as an initial cast on edge, your stitches are a little bit gappy like they are not the correct tension that will be the rest of your knitted tension for that fabric. There's some space there. But where this cast-on technique really shines is when you need to add additional stitches somewhere else, like at the underarm. You could do the backward loop technique, but if you want a more tidy structured edge, use a cable cast-on. When you're doing this, Little pro tip for you don't pull your stitches too tightly because if you pull your stitches really tightly, you are going to struggle tremendously to be able to knit into them when you get back to them. Oh, right. Some cast on edges, that's less of an issue because the cast on technique itself is kind of just organically stretchy. The cable cast on is not sort of rigid. So if you're pulling your yarn too tight, which I think sometimes people have a tendency to do when they're adding stitches, somewhere in their existing knitting, they're like, oh, I don't want this to have a gap. I'm going to give it an extra tug. But when you do that, you're kind of choking out your needle, and it's going to be really challenging to get those stitches worked when it's time.
0: I feel like a lot of times when people are adding stitches to an existing project, they are approaching it with the same energy that you would approach showing up late to a theater. You know what (laughs) I mean? Where they're like, oh, we got to sneak it in here. Like, no, you don't. It's just you and your knitting. Trip over over the the seats, turn on the lights, like whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, yeah. Backward loop cast on, we're not even worried about. What about the finished edge for the knitted and the cable cast on? There's a couple of different ways to qualify the edges that these would create, right? There's the sort of camouflaged way where if you were, for example, starting with ribbing, it would like disappear into the ribbing. So there's like the degree to which it disappears. And then there's also the degree to which it gives you like a clean line. So how would these fit into that?
1: That's a good question. I think that knitted cast on and cabled cast on give you a defined and tidy edge. It's not super rigid, but it's not floppy and out of control like a backward loop cast on might look. So the aesthetic is neat and the functionality
0: is structured. So then there's the long tail cast on, which is probably, I don't know if I want to say it's most people's go-to. It's a common go-to. It's popular. It's a two strand technique and you can either do it working from one strand of yarn. There are ways to do it where you're using both ends of the yarn that come out of your ball. Mm -hmm. We're not really going to talk about that. It makes sense when you see it. So just know that that's an option and you can look at a tutorial if that's something you're interested in. It's a pretty elastic technique. The main thing that can go wrong with this is not leaving enough yarn for yourself. So you can do a couple of different methods to measure. You could, you know, if you have to cast on 200 stitches, you could take your yarn and you could loop, like you could wrap your needle 200 times. I have literally never in the history of time had the patience to do that.
1: No, no,
0: no. But there are people with more patience and they do that. And you know what? They don't waste yarn. I wildly waste yarn on a long tail cast on. So I feel like waste is a strong (laughs) word, though.
1: Like unless you are playing yarn chicken with your skein, you're like, I don't know, maybe I'm going to have two or three extra inches left. Like oftentimes you have enough yarn left at the end of a project to not really do something else with, but the 16 inches of extra tail you had is not waste, it's extra.
0: True. And it's there waiting for you. It's like the equivalent of sewing an extra button into your shirt collar or something, right? So, the way I measure at the outside, you need three times the number of inches as the number of stitches that you have to cast on. That is a generous measurement. But you want to be generous because there's nothing worse than casting on 295 stitches and running out of yarn when what you needed was 300. Have enough yarn to cast on 330 stitches, and then if there's some left over, fine. I'll sort of measure from like my sternum and just pull the yarn. You know, I know my arm's about three feet long. Pull the yarn, pull the yarn, pull the yarn, the number of times that takes, and then start from there. We do this differently. We do the long tail cast on differently. We probably do. You make a slipknot. Yeah, always. I love slip knots. I'll make them for everything. <laughs> I, I don't make a slipknot, but if you ask me to tell you what I do instead, I am not sure. So if you, like, make the slingshot, this is the method that you'll see people hold, like, a slingshot. I take the tip of my needle and I press down on the center of the slingshot and Uh then muscle memory takes over and then somehow my first stitch is two (laughs) stitches. Your hands are doing things. Right. No idea. I'm sure there are videos. I could show you like in person, it's a twist and then it happens. I don't know. I have big love for the long tail cast on
1: because this is the cast on I learned to knit with when I taught myself as an adult using a pamphlet. From like Susan Bates or something (laughs) that I got at a will not be named box store. It was all that was accessible to me where I was living at the time, and it didn't know what I was doing, but I did have some straight aluminum needles and (laughs) a cardboard rectangle and some squeaky acrylic yarn. And I was like, I am going to learn this thing. And I cast on like a billion times to get the long tail cast on correct. And I would sit there in my apartment and
0: watch Pulp Fiction and <laughs> knit and knit and knit. Oh, see, for me, the long tail cast on. So after I finished undergrad, I went to a postback program where we were, I think I've talked about this before. We were studying Latin and Greek and we never like handed in any assignments. And so we all were kind of in this weird place where we were working really hard all the time. And you know how like you hand in a paper as a student and you have a moment of like, whew, I have accomplished something. Never did we get that feeling because it was like you read 30 pages of ancient Greek and then you go to class and you embarrass yourself and then you go home and you read 30 more pages. Like there was never any, I have finished a thing. A little group of like four or five of us started knitting, maybe a block and a half from my apartment. There was a really sweet little yarn shop that isn't there anymore. Like down in the basement, they saw me on some rough days because I would just like student stumble in there and be like, uh sell me yarn. And they'd be like, here's some yarn. I'd be like, great. And I'd just like stumble back up the stairs. One of the women in my program named Kathleen saw me doing the backward loop cast on and was like, can I teach you something? And I was like, probably not, but you can try, right? <laughs> and she, she must have shown me the long tail cast on 85 times. <laughs> I mean, this poor, this poor woman We would get together to study and I would be like, before we get into what we're supposed to be doing, one more time, can you show me what I'm supposed to be doing with my hands? I might have learned it faster if I'd tried doing it with a slipknot because really it's the part I still don't know. (laughs) So long tail cast
1: on big thumbs up for a sturdy, durable edge.
0: Yes, which is kind of all purpose. It's tidy and it's a little stretchy. It's not too stretchy. Mm -hmm. It's got some structure. Can I talk to you about my favorite variation of long-tail cast-on? Yes. And by the way, this is the one that I watched the video on 17 times and couldn't understand. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I
1: love this. (laughs) I love this cast-on. It has two names, possibly more. If it has more, I don't know the other ones. But it is called either the Old Norwegian cast-on or the German Twisted cast-on. And this cast-on edge is basically the long-tail cast-on super stretchy. With a twist. With a twist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you are still using the two-stranded technique. It starts with a knot, unless you do Karen's wild, inexplicable boomerang start. I don't know. I can't speak to that. I don't know. <laughs> but there are two ways to start this, apparently. And in the process of weaving your needle in and out of your fingers to create the stitch, there's like an extra loop. And it gives you the extra stretchiness that you need, but the clean structured edge that you love about the long tail cast on. And I think that this is basically the perfect cast on if you knit top down socks, because they're really stretchy, but not floppy at all. Like they have the kind of snap back that you want them to have so that your socks stay up, because I hate saggy socks. I also think it's a really great technique for mitten cuffs, or for the edge of a hat, or for other places where you need a lot of like durability and bounce back. So like if you're doing a bottom-up sweater, and you're using a yarn that maybe has some cotton in it or another fiber that doesn't have a lot of like snapback memory. I think that instead of using a long tail cast on, the old Norwegian cast on will help maintain the shape of your ribbing a little bit because it wants to like
0: stretch and pull back in. I think a lot of the Jesse made bralettes use this as the cast on because it needs to be really stretchy because it's the lead in to so much ribbing. Yeah, infinity ribbing. The tutorial that we're going to link for this one is by a YouTuber whose YouTube name is Very Pink Knits, and her tutorials in general I really like. She does two versions of a lot of them. She does the natural speed version, and then she does a super slow version, so she'll have like multiple videos for a single technique, and they're good and clear, and you can see her hands. If any of the specific ones that we have linked don't work for you, her channel might be a good place to start looking. For one that will, because I like the way she presents things. Excellent. So when I was talking about deciding to do a different cast on and then discovering partway through your project that there was a reason, oh <laughs> I was thinking of the provisional cast on. Oh, a knitter life filled with regret. <laughs> What's the provisional cast on?
1: The provisional cast on is the bit of wool in my eye. <laughs> Where it's just like, uh, this is bound to happen at some point and I'm gonna hate it every time it does. The <laughs> provisional cast-ons are actually a really handy tool that for some reason my brain will not retain. So I find them annoying because I have to look them up every time I do them. But the function of a provisional cast on is creating your starting point, right? Your cast on edge in such a way that you will be able to return to that edge and kind of unzip those stitches open so that you can continue working them in a different direction. So, when might this happen? This might happen if you are knitting a decorative edge on something. Or you'll be color blocking and working your project with a different yarn in another direction. When we knit the penguono as our stash buster start 2021 strong with a new project, knit along earlier this year, the penguono starts with a provisional cast on. And you knit the back panel and you do all sorts of modular construction to knit the rest of this sweater. And then at the very end, you pull out that provisional cast on, which is like at the small of your back, so that you can continue knitting down towards your hips from live stitches instead of working picked up stitches on a finished edge.
0: I used to use the provisional cast on, and will again, for hats, for the brims of hats. I knit hats for Travis, and he wears them a lot over the course of a season, and so what I would do for the brim is knit the brim kind of twice as long as the pattern calls for, start with a provisional cast on, and do it as like a fold under. And then join the live yarn with the provisional cast on. So the brim was kind of like double thickness. Mm-hmm. The hat would start to stretch out, but the brim would still kind of hold its shape over the course of a year. it's nice and squishy that way. Really squishy. And I, I too have to look it up every single time. And I find what tends to happen for me with it is I'll start the cast on. It's not working. I'll start the cast on. It's not working. <laughs> I'll start it... <laughs> somehow it's working I don't know what I'm doing different but if I just maybe it's like the slingshot thing if I'm just like okay whatever I'm doing with my hands just keep doing it don't overthink it just keep doing it I get to the end of the cast on it and then I'm like okay we're gonna go but then it's gone the main tip that I would have about this is whatever waste yarn you're using make sure it's high contrast with the actual yarn that you're knitting with mm-hmm. that's helpful yeah And
1: there are a couple of different techniques for creating a provisional cast on. We are going to link to a method where you use a crochet hook to create the stitches and get them onto your needle, because that is the only one that I can reliably make work for me. I don't know what my problem is. I like to think of myself as a fairly experienced and proficient knitter. But when I try other provisional cast on techniques, I inevitably do something incorrect so that when I return to that cast on edge to pull out the waste yarn that I have used and like unzip the knitting and open it up, it does not unzip. Like, (laughs) no, those are permanent provisional stitches. And I always end up having to take my embroidery snips to it and like just cut the yarn out as I put the stitches onto my needle because I've knit a whole sweater around these. Ridiculous, not unzippable stitches. But I don't have that problem when I use the crochet hook technique. So that's what we're going to link to. You may find other provisional cast on techniques work for you.
0: What about the tubular cast on? That's really stretchy and elastic and works well with ribbing and stuff. I love tubular cast on. It's kind of
1: fussy and it's definitely not one that I remember. I do have to look it up because I don't do it that often. But tubular cast-on, excellent for ribbing, also really nice for brioche projects, anywhere where you're alternating knits and purls at your edges in some configuration of one-by-one or two-by-two or whatever it happens to be. What the tubular cast-on does is create an edge that doesn't look defined. Like, you know how a long-tail cast-on or a knitted cast-on has a clear, like, perpendicular set of stitches, like that edge is very clearly defined. The tubular cast-on creates kind of an invisible edge. It looks like your knitting has like rolled under or something. So it's just kind of like smooth, continuous section of stitches. And if you like to knit designs from Hudson and West, their pattern collections frequently feature tubular cast-ons. It is an aesthetic that they really love, and lots of those patterns have that. If you have knit the Weekender Sweater from Andrea Mowry, that definitely has tubular cast-on at the bottom edges as well, and I find that it takes a little bit of practice. You might have a couple of false starts, but once you figure out which motion is creating the knits and which one is creating the pearls. You just kind of get into the zone. Don't let anyone else talk to you (laughs) and get those stitches onto your needles. We are going to link in the show notes to Andrea Mowry's YouTube tutorial for creating this. And she she has like a very calm, even tone when she explains it to you, which hopefully will guide you through this process. (laughs) Like just kind of surrender to the alternating of needles and get those stitches on there.
0: It's yarn yoga. Very much so. (laughs) I think so. Jenny's surprisingly stretchy cast on, another excellent cast on for ribbed edges. Jenny spells her name with one N, if you want to Google this. In 2009, she came out with her surprisingly stretchy bind off, which I think we'll talk about in a future episode. And then I guess she had a bunch of people ask if there was a cast on equivalent to it. And she said, yes, it's something I came up with in college that she then learned after she'd sort of back invented it herself is a long-standing technique in Russian knitting. So like Jenny gets credit for it in the English language pattern world, but it, it predates her. Exactly. The edge that this cast on creates follows the ridges of the ribbing So it's like aesthetically consistent with the ribbing in the project. And it has a huge amount of stretch because all it is is a bunch of slip knots on your needle. I have had some problems with the bind off where it was too stretchy and it became kind of frilled. So I think when she says you're putting, you know, you want to put your series of slip knots, you know, snugged up close like sea lions on a beach. I think that's how you avoid that problem with her cast on. You want to kind of snug your slip knots in toward each other. So we're going to link to her video of her explaining how to do this. It's pretty straightforward. She'll tell you it's a pain to do. If you are somebody who has a fuller calf and you want to do top-down socks or really anything where other stretchy cast-ons haven't been stretchy enough for you, this is a good option.
1: It's wicked stretchy.
0: It really is. It's kind of surprising. So the principle that I mean, I don't know if this is really true. I'm going to invent a principle right here live on into a microphone. I think the more yarn you're giving to any individual stitch, the stretchier the technique is going to end up being. Sure. Because like the backward loop cast on is a tight nightmare. The difference between long tail and old Norwegian is Is that extra loop. Yeah, it's the extra, extra twist. It's like an extra twist of yarn. I think I'm going to state a hypothesis and then immediately support my own hypothesis with my anecdote. So I feel very confident. Sure, I'll <laughs> run with that. Uh huh. If I'm wrong, someone please tell me. <laughs> I cord cast on. Oh, they will.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah. I cord cast on. So much fun. Also, not the fastest cast on. <laughs> no. So, I have been making I cords for years at this point and had never come across an I cord cast on until our spring knit along when we knit our sorrels. I did the summer sorrel tee, and that project starts at the neckline with an I-cord cast on. And there's a really excellent tutorial linked in the pattern, but it is password protected, so you need to have your own copy of the pattern to access that tutorial from Wool and Pine Designs, but I highly recommend it. In our show notes, we're linking to a tutorial on the Brooklyn Tweed website because it is free and accessible to whoever's on the internet. But the I-Cord cast on uses a fair amount of yarn because you are not only creating your knit stitches, but also an I-Cord that runs along the edge of them. And it's a little bit slow because you're doing like the work of like three stitches for every one stitch that you're creating, but it is worth the effort. Because you end up with a super tidy, really aesthetically pleasing piped edge effect to your neckline. So I would say, strong recommend. It's kind of a cool feature. I feel excited about that the same way I got excited about learning how to do I cord edging on like a button band, because I think that's really aesthetically pleasing as
0: well. It's just like a tidy way to finish things off. Our last cast on is probably our most controversial cast on people have strong feelings about garter tab cast on they do there are people they will do anything they are prolific knitters but they see garter tab cast on and they're like oh absolutely not that's not my experience with it i always kind of wonder what who hurt you right what gar- <laughs> what garter tab what garter tab ruined it for the rest of us so what a garter tab cast on is A lot of times you'll see it as like the starting point of a big triangle shawl, but basically you're starting with a little square, a rectangle, tab, that you then (laughs) kind of distort to create the center point of the long edge of your shawl. Yeah. So you did a little garter stitch doohickey,
1: tab, thing.
0: You knit a rectangle. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And you end up picking up stitches on three sides of it. So you will work your short edge, like the end of your long tab, you will keep going, you don't turn your work, you pick up along the long edge of your rectangle, and then you work down the other short side, and now you have live stitches on three edges of that tab, and from there,
0: your shawl will bloom. It's going to start ugly. It's a little wonky. Yeah, basically, the ugliness of that cast-on gets overwhelmed by the size of the fabric that you're making. Don't judge your garter tab cast on by the first inch of your garter tab cast on, because by the time your shawl is big enough to count, basically, it will be the shape it needs to be. Something, something, a garter tab only a knitter could love, (laughs) something like that. (laughs) It works. It's a really structurally sound and kind of disappearing cast on. Mm -hmm. It's fun.
1: And we have linked to Stephen West's tutorial because if anyone knows garter tab cast-ons, it is Stephen West and his (laughs) many amazingly huge shawls. So you can work your way through cursing at your knitting with him. That's right. Just blame Stephen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, by no means is this an exhaustive catalog of cast-on techniques, but these are 10 techniques that you will experience commonly in knit patterns, but there are definitely other ways to get stitches on your needles. And we have this conversation fairly often with people in the shop. As a knitter, you don't have to keep all of this information in your head. You don't have to know all of these techniques by heart. We have access to the internet and knit publications and other knitters. You can access this information as you need it. And if you don't ever intend to do an I-cord cast-on, that's fine. Don't clog up your brain with trying to remember that if it's not something you're ever going to do. But if it comes up, you know that it's an option and you can figure out the details when you need them.
0: And I think that's kind of the main thing, right? If you come to a pattern and they're calling for a cast-on that you don't already know, it's really just a matter of being like, okay, cool. I'm going to learn it, even if you're not going to learn it to store in the memory, I'm going to perform it and then let that knowledge dissipate back out into the universe. Like, it's going to be fine. But we do, we get people that come into the store fairly frequently that they're like, I really want to make this, you know, but I I know these two cast-ons and this one asks for a third one and I don't know that one. And we're like, that is a very surmountable problem, actually, like a very surmountable problem. Let's look it up. Hey,
1: Jessica, what's on your needles? Ooh, I was hoping you would ask me because I'm the only one in our
0: house knitting right now. That's right. You better have something on your needles. I I do. (laughs) I am
1: knitting away at my outline tank and I love it. Right now, it's just like knit, 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 knit. I'm almost at the point where I split front and back so I can knit the cups of my tank top. And I think that once I get to the split point, it will go really fast I want to say I'm like almost eight inches into the 10 inches of length that I need for the body. Oh, awesome. So I am nearly there and I can't wait because I want to drop those stitches and see what happens. It feels a little scary. (laughs) I'm excited to see it. Mm -hmm. And we got some messages last night from someone whose drop stitches in the outline tank were kind of coinciding at some point with the decreases. And I am not that far into my project yet. So I got to like look ahead in my pattern and look at the pictures that she sent and do some troubleshooting with her. So I love this stuff. Like even if you're not knitting the same thing that I'm knitting, if you're having (laughs) some sort of like stumbling point in your pattern, send us a message because this is like brain teaser knit problems for me. (laughs) And I love trying to decode other people's projects. So you let me know. Yeah. So I would ask you what's
0: on your needles, but your needles are all in time out. I want to talk about this email that we got from Marge. Mhm. There were a couple of knitting related things in it and then there was something that wasn't specifically knitting related, but she thought I would be interested in because I talked about how I used to be a Latin teacher in a previous episode and it's a letter from John Glenn who like me is from Ohio because all of the astronauts are from Ohio, something about the state of Ohio makes people want to leave the planet. I <laughs> I hesitate to guess what that might be where he was talking about how Specifically learning Latin is really important for like teaching people how to learn. And yes, first that's something I used to talk about with my middle school students. I felt like what I was doing for them going into high school, like great if you can read Latin going into high school. Wonderful. If you can't, at least maybe you learned how to learn things, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of this class. I'm getting all excited because it's like knitting. In that way that knitting is really good for your brain, studying a language that like doesn't quite intuitively compute is also really good for your brain. And it just made me feel really excited and happy. So thank you for sending us that letter, Marge. Yay. Hey, are you ready for a letter? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so it's not a real letter this week. It's like... An amalgam of letters. Letter (laughs) mashup. So we have had a number of questions lately from listeners who are both eager and kind of afraid to knit their first sweaters, some because they're intimidated by sock knitting, so they worry that they're not ready for a sweater project. Others have only knit flat things, or maybe they've knit like hats or something, and they're not sure if they're ready to commit to a sweater. So Jessica, what do you think about that? I think do it.
1: <laughs> I have responded to actually a bunch of these emails individually as they've come in because when we get these letters, it feels like somebody is on like the precipice of making a huge decision for themselves in their knitting life and like they're trying to pick their next project. And I don't want to hold them up until we have the opportunity to get to their letter when we record. Like, you need to know now. And if we don't get to it for another three weeks, you've just wasted a month of your knitting life waiting to hear back. So I've been answering these as they kind of roll in. But there is like something in the air where people, you know what I think this might be? I think a lot of people started knitting last year. Yeah because they had the opportunity for obvious reasons many people had more time on their hands and they were like this is the thing i'm going to do and now that they have spent some number of months building skills and kind of digging in and falling in love with their yarn they were like maybe this fall i will have a hand knit sweater yes and then they go oh no <laughs> where do i even start what i have to say to you is you can start anywhere, like begin at the beginning. We've talked about casting on today. That's your first step. But if you have not knit socks or you haven't knit mittens or whatever other knit garment thing that has somehow become your metric for whether or not you are ready to knit a sweater, let me tell you a secret. You're already ready to knit a sweater. Yes, you don't have to knit things in a particular order to build to a garment. So like if you can knit and you can purl and either you can or are willing to learn how to increase and decrease, you have the basic skills that you need to knit a sweater. You might need a little support. You might need some questions answered, maybe you will need a cheerleader to like help you get through the long stretches of knitting, like your sleeves.
0: How how do sleeves do that? The physics don't they're the longest. Yeah. Longest. Longer than the body.
1: <laughs> Much smaller diameter, but somehow so many more stitches. Emotionally, they're, <laughs> right. they're bigger. Yeah, but you can do this thing. And your local yarn shop can help you, or we can help you, or your best knitting buddy can help you, but
0: you can knit a sweater. Really, if you think about it, a sweater is just three tubes. Mm-hmm. You probably want to decrease the sleeves at some point. Maybe. Maybe, or maybe you maybe you don't. It's fine. It gets a little more complicated up around the neck, up in the yoke of the sweater. I think if you can do a hat, that's that's all of the skills you need for the sweater. If you're feeling a little unconfident about your sweater... A top-down sweater feels like a good option, mainly because usually if it goes wrong, it's going to go wrong in the yoke, and then it's just less to rip back. Sweaters
1: are just more knitting. It's more stitches, many more stitches than the smaller things that you have knit, but it's still just a bunch of individual stitches. You can find sweater patterns that are very complicated, and that
0: is not where you have to begin
1: unless you want to.
0: If you want a sweater that is visually interesting, but the only techniques you're really doing are the shaping techniques, there's nothing really extra to it, get some speckled or some tonal yarn or something. Let the yarn do the work of like breaking up the visual appearance of the fabric, and then all you have to worry about is whether your raglan works or doesn't work, or whether your increases work or don't work.
1: I think that like my biggest piece of advice to you would be to read through your pattern before you start knitting. And if you're not feeling like you can confidently visualize like what all of these instructions are telling you to do, because that can be difficult until you are an experienced enough and a confident enough knitter to be able to like read your stitches, like reading the pattern, you're not going to be able to imagine the sweater in your head entirely. But it will tell you that at some point, you're going to need stitch markers or at some point you're going to need to break your yarn, or these things that will be coming down the page at you eventually, if you kind of know that they're there and you can make yourself some notes. Because sometimes it's overwhelming looking at a sheet covered in numbers and instructions. Some people like to go through with a highlighter or a colored pencil or something, and highlight the instructions that apply to you. So if there are like seven sizes of the sweater and you're knitting size four, you just go through and you put a little boop of highlighter on all of the size four numbers. So that's the number that you focus on and you don't end up knitting the size sleeves for a size one sweater. And then you're like, why don't my arms go in my sweater? (laughs) Because they're too little.
0: Yeah, and I would say the other thing to watch out for when you're doing your read-through of the pattern is directions that say things like, at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, you know, depending on how the math works out for the designer with that specific range of sizes or whatever, there will be increase or decrease things that are also happening in conjunction with something else. And mainly the problem there is if you're reading it sequentially, you aren't reading those two sets of instructions at the same time. So you'll like do the first one and then you'll be like, oh, darn it. I was supposed to be doing this other thing too for the last 800 rows or whatever. (laughs) Probably not 800 rows. And then you are frustrated. So like make yourself a little note of those things. Mm -hmm. You're going to love it.
1: And if something goes wrong, what's the worst thing that will happen? It's just yarn. You can rip it back if you need to and keep going. And that's fine because presumably you're knitting a sweater because you like to knit. And if you have to re-knit part of it, you like knitting. So it just means more <laughs> knitting for you. Congratulations. Yeah,
0: you can totally do it. Knit the sweaters. Team sweater. Even if you're not knitting one of their patterns, Tin Can Knits, we're just like all about the tutorials this week. Yeah. They have a series of patterns called the Simple Collection that they're all free patterns. The idea behind them is it's your first sweater, it's your first hat, it's whatever. And so when they get to techniques, they link to tutorials for those techniques. No guarantee if you're knitting somebody else's pattern that the technique that your pattern has in it will be in their flax tutorial library, but it might be. And so it's worth checking because sometimes just seeing how it's going to work out is to a benefit. If you end up with three sleeves, That third sleeve is for fashion.
1: (laughs) It gives you options. Where do I put my arms today? Do I artfully pin this extra tube somewhere
0: to my sweater? I knit a sweater that had knit on elbow patches as a gift Mm -hmm. for somebody. And so they weren't elbow patches that like you knit the sleeve and then you attach them, right? They were like garter elbow patches. Mm -hmm. And I could not line these things up for anything. (laughs) I had one sleeve. I knit the second sleeve like four times. I had one sleeve that I did it right. And then I kept rotating somehow where the elbow patch was on the second sleeve. So the first time it was on the front of the elbow. Fashion. And then I did it again and it was like on the side of the elbow. Also fashion. And then I did it again and it was on the other side of the elbow. And I was like, you know what? That's just where it is now. It's fine. And nobody has ever noticed. It's fashion. Yeah. (laughs) It's why we make our own clothes. (laughs) Nobody else has a sweater like that. That's right. Very individual
1: (laughs) look. Speaking of individual looks, can we talk about this knit along? Oh my gosh. Y'all have looks. It's so good. See, I love this because instead of just one single project that we're all knitting the same things, people are knitting a whole host of different types of garments. There are shorts, there are bralettes, there are shirts and there are sweaters. It is so good. And people are picking amazing yarn and it's exciting to watch them grow from little tiny patches of ribbing into things.
0: Yes. And some of you are fast. It's baffling. Like as a pure observer in this particular knit along, I don't know how anybody's moving as fast as they are. Yeah, it's like an explosion of Jessie May goodness. And
1: some of you are making sets. I'm seeing second and third garments from some people, and it's thrilling. So you keep knitting and keep posting pictures, and I will keep sharing them in our stories on our Instagram page. And I need to make by this time. Maybe I have made by the time this is live, a highlight for this so you can just kind of boop through and see all of these projects unfold. But also, if you're following the hashtag #MakeGoodMadeAlong, you are watching everyone make their awesome things and loving it.
0: And we'll run this through August 31st. If you're not done by then, no worries. Gotta end sometime. We'll have to plan for a fall knit along. <laughs> yeah, that's just when we'll start talking about the fall knit along. I think that might be it for us this week. Perfect. You can send us letters at deerscratch at scratchsupplyco.com, and we will answer your question on the podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your audio podcasts, and you can rate and review us to help other knitters find us.
1: Also, if you want to see what we're up to, follow us on Instagram at makegoodpod. And tell your friends, because y'all are fun, and we love hearing from you, and meeting you now that the store is open you all are coming to see us oh it's so exciting people from places (laughs) with their hand knits i didn't realize how much i missed this yeah it's pretty good so yay it's so nice to meet you keep coming
0: and we will talk to you next week bye-bye